The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Baseball fans. <laughs> it's going to be the kind of refuge from that world. So, um, welcome back. And as we have before, we can start informally, which is if you have any questions about what I taught last week, about your own practice, or if you want to just simply report how the at, uh, how it's working for you to do the meditation at home. Any questions? It all seems crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a nice time to, to have a little informal beginning because people are still coming in. So I don't, I'm a little bit reluctant to start with the, my talk. So anything that you'd like? Gil, I've been trying uh, one of the forms of meditation the Buddha did not recommend, but I like your comment on it. I kind of call it meditation while driving, because huh. I do that a lot. But in trying to be in the body, which I do during other meditation, I focus on the, the sensation of the palms of my hand and the wheel, or the the features of the other driver, or of course the other cars. Could you comment about that? Yeah, I think two, two Buddhist teachers that I know, colleagues, have uh, written books on mindful driving. And uh, I think it's an important area to be mindful of. Uh, it's also very interesting to study the nature of awareness while you're driving. Because um, even though you might be daydreaming and thinking about it, the things, having a conversation with someone in the car, uh, there is a kind of heightened awareness that has to be in the present moment when you drive, where it's usually more, you know, uh, 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 you know, it's more consequential if you're not than almost any other thing you're doing. So, um, so it's interesting to kind of notice what kind of attention you have while you're driving that ke- keeps you driving safe, and how that's in the present moment and the kind of alertness that it has. Um, and the kind of relationship it has with distractive thoughts and hindrances that might come up. Because, you know, usually you, just kind of, you stay on track well enough, usually driving. So what is that that's going on? And sometimes by studying that, you can get a sense of a heightened, kind of nice heightened awareness for meditation as well. There's many choices of what to do when you're driving. For people who um, uh, have a tendency of getting very concentrated, choosing one thing, like the hands on the steering wheel, um, could actually be a problem because they can get so focused on that sensation that they're not paying attention to what's going on around. Other people will find that having some primary grounding like that keeps them in the present moment and they're actually much more present and alert than they would be 
if they were not having, didn't have that anchor. So that's possible to have that. <clears throat> I find that uh, it's helpful to stay in my body uh, and have some, some attention to my posture when I'm driving. Same is true in uh, working on a computer, that paying attention to the posture, because if the posture goes, if we become inattentive to the posture and the posture slums or does what it does, um, it makes it a little less likely that we're going to be alert in the mind. So take a posture that has some semblance of being alert. Um, and then um, the, um, um, for me, the most important thing about driving and being mindful is in fact to stay in the present moment and stay open and aware of what's happening in my surroundings as I do it. So to have my awareness be open and relaxed and moving so I can see the rear view mirror, what's going on left and right, what's going on in the front, um, but all of the time staying in the present moment and, um, and, being, and sometimes being more than mindful. There's, in Buddhism, there's a companion mental activity to mindfulness. And that's in the Buddhist language is called clear, clear comprehension. So you wouldn't just simply be mindful, you'd clearly comprehend what's going on. Like you, you notice that there's a car coming from, in from the right. But you know, you can just notice it, you know, and just keep driving and have a wonderful collision. Just notice, <laughs> no, notice that and, you know. Um, or you can notice that there's a car coming from the right and say, oh, this I need to pay attention to. There's a stop sign there, but I notice that, but sometimes people don't stop for stop signs. So, so I think this is a time to have heightened attention there and not kind of lose track of that person who's coming. And so there's kind of a heightened kind of engagement, uh, questioning, wondering, uh, uh, understanding what's going on that sometimes is really key for driving. And sometimes... Um, is also key for mindfulness practice. There's a can, there can be a kind of a clear, a clear comprehension of what's happening in the present moment more than just simply being aware of it. So I don't know if that addresses your... Great, thank you. Um, just an observation about um, emotions yeah. this week. And I think I never noticed um, the embodiment of the emotions so much. I thought it's mostly in my head and I don't know where else, uh-huh. but anyway. Uh, it it helped me not react so much right away as soon as I feel something. And it Fantastic. Was so feeling it in the body, which is a, which is a surprise for you, uh, but if you do that, it, you're less likely to be reactive. Do you have any guess why? Well, how does that work? Well, how, how does being aware of it in the body help you be less reactive? Because I was busy feeling it rather than getting back. <laughs> so you're more involved in feeling it ra- rather than caught up in the story and the event yeah. and all that. Uh-huh. Another thing that can happen is once we're in the body, uh, there's a deeper understanding of what's happening. It's more embodied. And, uh, and when you really feel an emotion in a body, if it's a tense motion, it's an emotion that's kind of afflictive or problematic or painful, it tends to soften and, and relax if we feel it in the body. If we know we're having it and just know it mentally, it's too easy that uh, the mental reactivity to it uh, becomes second arrows, you know, they add to it and fuel it. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. It was very unfamiliar uh-huh. um, to try to f- feel it. Uh-huh. And the more familiar it gets, the more wonderful it is. It's really nice to feel it through your body. Um, I have a 
actually felt two experience. First one is that um, kind of like when I, I know could able to notice the body sensation more, uh-huh. even before coming thought is or emotion is, yeah. I could able to notice that how my body react before before you f- feel the emotion. Emotion, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So and then I noticed that okay, my breath is very fast, uh-huh. or maybe I'm anxious. Uh-huh. After that, only I could able to see the story. So that uh-huh. was kind of a little bit surprised. Uh-huh. And another one is that. Um, Last week was kind of very stressful for me, and I noticed I was trying to uh, test that raft, whatever you yeah. taught it. And in one incident, when I was just <laughs> noticing and I was just going, create, seeing that how mind creates so many arrows, but I have kind of gone so downhill. <laughs> You know, I, maybe I got engrossed in the story. I didn't realize uh-huh. when I engrossed in the story versus when the body sensation. Mm. So, yeah, so, so that becomes one of the things of practice. And, and the more you become familiar with what it feels like physically in the body, uh, the less likely you are to be tripped up or influenced by the story mind. But if we're not grounded in the body, it's very easy to be swept away by the story. But I noticed that I could able to understand myself better. If... How how I react uh-huh. and how my bo- uh, how emotion actually affecting the body uh-huh. and, and not even mind actually body great so much fantastic uh, yes yeah, so there's um, as people become more mindful there's a variety of connections they start seeing in their system here and one is that the the connection between thinking stories and the emotions and how it affects the body. And sometimes it's the other direction, which I think you alluded to. Sometimes you feel what's going on in the body and then you see how that triggers an emotion or that triggers a story. And so seeing the cause and effect relationship uh, can be freeing because it starts seeing more impersonal. It's like, I didn't direct this, I didn't plan this out. Look at that, uh, there was a sensation in my body and, and I remembered you know, being on vacation and then I started having vacation thoughts and planning my next vacation. It all started with a sensation in the body. Or you have some thought that was unbidden comes up and it's your, you know, your high school sweetheart who you hate. <laughs> and so, you know, you still have resentment towards. And so suddenly you feel all this heat coming up. Oh, it was just a thought about that sweetheart. And now, and so you see the cause and effect relationship can go in different ways. And uh, it's very helpful to see that. And I noticed when I went very downhill, I noticed that uh, it was too much. And... Uh, and after that, I kind of got very disappointed, like, oh my God, I noticed it so early, and how did I got so tripped down? Ah. But after that, when I became kind of very self-compassionate to myself, yeah. saying that, okay, fine, uh-huh. it then I could able to come out of it. Fantastic. Easily. Very good. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Very nice. <coughs> Hi. I have a question. Oh, yes. Is, 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 there, is there a light? Hold, hold it this way, so it's kind of more horizontal. Thank you. Uh, my question relates to pain. I've been having some neck pain the last days, and today it became much worse. I was trying, you know, to use some of the Buddhist practices to to, to deal with it, and I didn't know if I should focus on the pain or if I should get some distraction from it so that it wouldn't hurt that much, so uh-huh. that I wouldn't be so impressed. Yes. How should I do that? It's a good, it's a good question you're asking yourself. Uh, the general approach in mindfulness is, is to feel physical pain, to bring your attention to it, 
And, um, and the primary reason is not to make it go away, but to, so that we don't have any second arrows, so that we don't react to it or contract around it or hate, or hate, hate it or be upset with us or get angry or, you know, so we don't have all these, add these secondary layers to it. So it can just be kind of simple pain. And many times pain gets worse if we get complicated mental reactions to it. So it's po- sometimes by focusing on pain, you can begin teasing away the secondary reactions. And it can be a lot easier then. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is some kinds of pain is actually useful to distract yourself from it because it lets something go or relax that can't relax if we're focusing on it. So sometimes it's useful. And sometimes with some like neck pain, you have to be careful. I don't know what kind of pain it is um, because of, sometimes a very important option is um, do what you can so you don't have it. So some people like for meditation will do meditation lying down. Or I've known people who've had uh, serious neck problems and they sit up against, with a chair against a wall and they put a cushion or pillow underneath the, the back of their neck like this so they're resting, so the neck doesn't hurt. Because depending on the kind of pain, uh, if, uh, if it's a, you want to be careful, it's not a pain that aggravates it. It makes it worse. So here, yeah. Yeah, I just want to share uh, uh, something, what happened last week. So I was kind of um, running for a half marathon, and I never run more than eight miles in my life and whatever practice I did. So I I was kind of completely uh, feel that I'm not going to make it, right? And when I was kind of running nine miles, I'm going to complete the nine miles, I found that there is a wall in front of me. I can't do it. My body is in pain. And I can see myself that I have two personalities there. One personality is telling me, you can't do it. You're a loser. You can't make it. And other personality is kind of thin. saying, no, you can do it. You can do it. So at that time, I was kind of doing uh, whatever I've learned uh-huh. in this class, uh-huh. kind of body meditations and the mind and all those things. The good part is that I made it. <laughs> so I, I've kind of like to share that. Great. And, and what, what do you think it is about being mindfulness to your, your body, your mind? What, what, how did that help you? Uh, so naturally, one part was that my body was in complete pain. My yeah. legs are paining because I've never done that, right? So I was kind of completely kind of, you know, focus on those pain yeah. areas. I found that, okay, it's kind of the pain is kind of go away. You if, know, if you I, focus on it. Yeah, focus on that, right? So in, uh, still I'm walking, though uh-huh. I cannot run, but I still I'm walking while doing the meditation. Uh-huh. So that's one part. Other part was that because I can figure out that there's two of me, one which is saying that you are a loser, you can't do it. So I'm focusing on that part, that emotion, and I figured out that that's kind of, you know, mellow down. And I, my uh-huh. positivity become more stronger uh-huh. and kind of give me a, um, you know, feelings that I can do it. Plus, at the same time, my body pain is completely gone. I can say, okay, I'm, I can move. Fantastic. And actually after that, I will start running. So, which I can't believe in myself that how can I run after that, nice. you know, nice. big wall. And normally, if you have these voices in your head that says, I can't do it, I'm a loser, what would the usual effect be for that, for you? Uh, naturally, it'll be kind of uh, give me negative impact, plus uh, the pain is uh, coming. So, 
it'll stop me. Stop you. It's going to yeah. give you. Can you feel yeah. more drained and more yeah. tired yeah. and more painful yeah, and more just tired, more painful, discouraged? More excuses saying that okay, <laughs> my ligaments is you know not uh -huh. pulling me uh -huh. or something. I'll say and I'll kind of say okay. I, I can't do it. Oh, great. So you saw you so you saw it as just part of your mind that you didn't have to believe. That's right. And so you didn't get pulled into it. Yeah. And so it didn't have any much influence on you. That's right. Yeah. What a great story. Thank you. Yes. Hi, Gil. Um, uh, I wanted to circle back to the first question you answered, where you talked about um, clear comprehension in relationship yeah. to mindfulness, and gave that example of. You could see a car merging into your lane yeah. uh, and uh, respond to it, or just note that it's coming and have a crash. Um, and I'm so and glad you brought that up because I've been thinking about clear comprehension in relationship to mindfulness lately. Um, I had a situation yesterday where I uh, I noticed myself being rather greedy about um, something trivial. Uh, there was some uh, chicken in the house. Uh, in the refrigerator that I didn't want to share with my roommate. Um, and I didn't even know that uh, this discursive thought was happening um, until suddenly I just, it became very apparent that I was thinking this thought and um, my relationship to the precept, precepts came up, um, uh, not being possessive. And as soon as I saw that uh, next to uh, not being possessive, my ethics, uh, it was very easy to drop it. Um, to drop that thought, just to let it go. Oh, that's not useful. I don't want to be doing that. Drop. Um, and so that struck me as an example of uh, mindfulness unifying with the teachings. Uh -huh. um, and so what my question is uh, relates to uh, what I hear a lot of modern-day mindfulness teachers saying, which is that um, mindfulness is bare attention. Um, or uh, I think what John, John Kabat-Zinn says is um, you know, paying attention to the present moment uh, on pur purpose without judgment, like just blank screen. Um, and that doesn't have that aspect of clear comprehension right. in it. So I was just wondering if you could talk about, about um, that contrast of teachings there. Well, I mean, if we go back to the Buddha's teachings, uh, he sometimes used the word for mindfulness, which is sati, and the word for clear comprehension, sampajana, as a compound word. So that they're really integrated together, they work together. But sometimes they're treated separately as two distinct things. And um, I think of, aware of mindfulness, uh, 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 what we t I think of where mindfulness in the teachings of the Buddha to be... Um, uh, what we would nowadays call awareness. And that sampajana, this clear comprehension, is just that, it's clearly and recognizing and understanding what we're looking at, what we're aware of. And the two uh, work really well together. Um, the modern uh, practice of mindfulness, as it comes in the Buddhist tradition, uh, uh, tends, more, at least what I learned in Burma, tends to emphasize clear comprehension more than the awareness part. And so when they, when they use the word mindfulness as, uh, as if it means clear comprehension. Hmm. And so, but the two go hand in hand. You know, you can't get very far from one if you do the other. Uh, they kind of support each other. They come together. Um, and, uh, and if you develop a strong, stable awareness in the present moment, it's kind of natural 
to start having clear comprehension. It's just kind of what the mind does. The cognitive functioning of emptiness, it's called sometimes. Would you say that that, um, the teaching of that bare awareness um, or bare attention teaching is lacking in a sense because it doesn't always include that um, clear comprehension? Aspect. Yeah, I don't know what to say. And uh, your questions are quite good, but this is a beginning class, so you know quite a bit. So I don't want to lose everyone who's here, you know, to, to get into the, the, you know, subtleties of all this. Sure. Yeah, thank you. I can always ask you later. Good. And um, so, okay. So today we're going to talk about thinking. And, um, and to introduce this topic, I want to... Uh, teach you a analogy or a little story, teaching story. Imagine that uh, you're out for a nice walk and it's a nice day, sunny and beautiful day. You're out in nature and some nice forested area, meadow area. You're walking along and enjoying it and all that. And, and then in the distance, there's a nice river that's going down and a nice river bank and a beautiful oak tree that's up on the edge of the river. And so you say, oh, that's a good place to rest. And you go, go there and sit with your back against the oak tree and you bring out your lunch and you're, you're just watching the river go by. And it's so relaxing, peaceful. You're so content. You feel safe. You feel like it's been a good day. Nothing to do, not, nowhere to go. Just be here and it's nice. And then you notice that coming down the river is this big New Orleans showboat with uh, dancers and music and bands and probably casinos and great food and whatever, you know, the temptations might be. And the next thing you know, you're on the riverboat. And, and, but, but the next thing it means, two or three days later, you, you realize, you, you, what happened? I was, I was so content and happy on the riverbank under the oak tree, and now I've been like several days on this riverboat and I'm getting tired. So you finally get off the boat somewhere, manage to trek all the way back up to your oak tree and you sit there finally, oh, this is good. This is heaven to be here again. And then this um, big war boat comes down the river. It's fighting the great war, the good cause. And it, guns are shooting and big banners, the cause. And next thing you know, you're on that boat. And you're on that boat for a few weeks because it's really justified and and that after a few weeks, what, where, what, I was there sitting so nicely on the riverbank, and what am I doing on this big war boat? Okay. So you go back up, and you find your way back to the oak tree. You're there again. And, and next time, there comes this, like, coming down the river is this decrepit, you know, barely held together, old little kind of raft that, um, you know, just half under the water, and, just like it's, you just feel sorry just looking at it, sorry for it, just looking at it, poor raft, you know. And the next thing you know, you're on that. Poor raft, it's so hard, it's, this is terrible, we're going to sink, we're going to drown, this is going to be the end, oh, oh. And it takes you a few months to realize you're on that boat. <laughs> and then you finally get yourself off and get back to the oak tree. And then finally, sitting there in the oak tree, you realize, you know, I don't have to get on any of those boats. I can just let the boats go right by. So this is an analogy for what we can do with our thoughts in meditation. We can get on those thoughts, we can get involved and ride those thoughts for 
a few hours or days or years or a lifetime, you know. Some people get onto certain thoughts and they never get off. Or we can um, (coughs) learn to get off onto the dry, secure shore where we're kind of safe and, you know, solid. Or we can learn how not to get on to begin with and be able to just watch the thoughts go by. And, um, and then, you know, there, there's a riverboat. I know that one. There's the war boat. I've been on that, but I don't need to do that today. There's the poor me boat. Bye-bye. You wave as you, you ought to wave as it goes by. <laughs> but you don't get on. So, so what mindfulness allows you to do if you're in the present moments well enough to track what's going on, to kind of notice when things happening, is you can notice the, a thought coming. You can notice it passing by. And you can notice the tendency to want to get on, or you can notice the tendency to stay here. No, I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to watch it. You know, and I don't have to get... And one of the ways just to watch it is not to take it personally, which means uh, don't, uh, you don't judge it, you don't feel bad about it, you don't feel bad about yourself because you're having that thought. You don't praise yourself for having the good thoughts. You don't criticize yourself for having bad thoughts. Um, you don't even see, almost like you don't even see the thoughts as my thoughts. One meditation teacher I know, uh, he made the exercise of whatever uh, thoughts he had in his head while he was meditating, he imagined they came from the person behind him. <laughs> and, uh, and so then he took them much less personally and he would just, they were just gonna, you know, they just let, them, let them just go right by, you know, and not get involved. And part of the reason of not getting involved in thoughts is that um, thoughts have a huge influence on us if we're in their uh, grip. And, um, and the, the shape of the thoughts, the subject of the thought, the emotions connected to the thoughts can have a, have a much bigger inf- inf- impact on us if we're involved in the thinking, if we've gotten in, into them and thinking them and all that, than if we just sit back and watch them. In this regard, um, I like to distinguish between th- thinking and thoughting. Think, th- uh, thoughting is what the mind does. The mind kind of is a thoughting machine. It means it just makes thoughts will bubble up. And then they have bubbles that's kind of apt for just the thoughts just appear. Thinking is when we get involved with the thoughts and we start associating you know, one thought after the other. So a car goes by and you think, oh, that's a car. Okay, that's a, I had a thought. Then you say, that sounded like a really good car and I need a new car and I wonder what it was and probably I should get a red car next time. And, and there's a chain of associated thinking and you've gotten hooked in. One is hooked into the next because I'm interested in it, I'm involved in it, as opposed to just letting it be, oh, there's a car going by. It's a very simple, innocent thought. So that those simple, innocent thoughts often can be what the mind does. The thinking is when we start getting involved. And the idea in mindfulness is to stay on the solid shore, relaxed, back against the oak tree, at ease, and just leave it alone and let it go by. Let it go by. Just let it go, let it go. Almost as if this has nothing to do with me. Just let it go by. Does that make some sense? So I'm gonna, we're going to do a couple of meditations today. And the first will be a very simple uh, kind of mindfulness meditation that's kind of, well, introduce mindfulness of thinking in the most simplest way. 
And then uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. And then after this, I'll do another meditation, which will be an, an exercise. And it's an or a exercise where you uh, explore the terrain of your thinking. So you can become much more familiar uh, what actually thinking is, what kind of processes it is, all the different aspects of it uh, when it occurs. So you can learn to pay attention to it without getting mesmerized by the content of the thoughts, what you're actually thinking about. So those are the kind of, that's the kind of the plan here, okay? So we'll start with a basic meditation. So you can take a upright sitting posture. Gently close your eyes. And then take a few long, slow, deep breaths. As you breathe in deeply, feel your chest, torso, torso expand. And long exhale which you relax and settle into your body. And then letting your breathing return to normal. and taking a minute or so to scan through your body to see if there's any obvious places that you can relax, soften. Maybe you can soften the muscles of your face. Soften around the shoulders. It can be helpful to soften the belly so the belly hangs forward and down a little bit. And then see if you can find some place in your body that feels like a neutral place where there's not any particular discomfort, where there's not any strong associations that make it complicated. One possibility is to feel your right hand 
or could it be anywhere? Some place that's neutral. And let your awareness roam around in that neutral area, in the hand, for example. There's no particular purpose for this exercise except to help you be in the present moment in a relaxed way, feeling something simple. And seeing if you can let your awareness be clear, clearly aware of that part of your body. Clearly aware of the sensations of your hand. At the same time that the awareness is not leaning into it, pushing, straining, or the awareness is not casual or indifferent or hesitant. a simple, direct, relaxed awareness. So then bring your awareness to that part of your body where you most clearly experience breathing. And as you feel this part of your body, see if you can have the same kind of relaxed, clear awareness as you did for the neutral place, without being for or against anything without trying to do anything except to be present and aware. And if the mind wanders off into thought and you notice that, begin again with your breathing.
feeling equally the inhalation and the exhalation. Perhaps letting go of your thoughts as you exhale. Adjusting your awareness so it's not pushing or straining, but also not casual or indifferent or hesitant. Awareness which is direct and present and clear of the breathing as the body breathes. And now you can stop paying attention to your breathing and instead just be attentive to your mind thinking. You're allowed to think, but turn your attention clearly and directly to recognize that you're thinking, that you're seeing the boats go by If the thoughts disappear as you look at them, you can go back to your breathing until thinking begins again. And then look thinking right in the eye, recognizing, oh, this is a thought. Some people think more in words, some people think in images. Whatever it is, just know it's happening as it's happening.
being careful that your awareness is not straining or pushing, but also not pulled back or hesitant or too casual. Clear awareness of thinking. And as thinking occurring, or as thinking reappears, is there any emotion connected to your thinking? It could be quite subtle, or any mood associated with your thinking. And if there is, Be aware of that. No need to get involved. Some river boats are emotion boats. Just see it go by. And now return to your breathing and allow yourself to feel the rhythm of breathing in and breathing out as as it's experienced in the body. And then the last couple of minutes of the sitting, if you find yourself thinking, take a moment to clearly recognize thinking. Look at it directly, recognize it as thinking. And if it feels like it's well acknowledged, maybe then you can come back to your breathing without being easily pulled into the world of thoughts again.
And then to end this sitting, you can take a few deep breaths, feel your body, feel yourself, yourself sitting against the chair or the floor or cushion. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So the idea of mindfulness meditation is to learn how to be mindful <clears throat> of what's happening. Anything that's happening that's prominent in the, in the moment. So when we do mindfulness meditation, it's not pushing things away or ignoring things, but rather learning to turn towards what's happening so we can see it clearly and rather than um, being pulled into its orbit, or rather than you know, resisting it or pushing it away. So we start with breathing, but we're ready to let go of the breathing if something else is more prominent, more compelling. And then we, in a matter-of-fact way, bring our attention to that thing which is a compelling event. If it's physical sensation in the body, we bring the attention there. And I don't know if it worked for you, this, the, the neutral place to feel, like in your hand or something, uh, where you can f- kind of be present for something without any reactivity, without being for or against it, without judging it or feeling bad. You just feel it in a very simple way. So the idea is to try to bring that kind of awareness to whatever you're feeling, whatever you're present for. So even if you feel pain in your body, you want to see if you can bring that quality of attention to the pain. Just Matter of fact, not being for or against it, just to feel it fully. Or if there's a lot of pleasure, same thing. You feel it fully, but you're not for or against it. And you're not leaning into it and say, oh, finally, I'm gonna, now I'm really going to have a gonna party here. Just feel it. If there's emotions that are compelling, then we would, again, let go of the breathing and turn ourselves to the emotions and do emotion mindfulness, mindfulness of the emotions. And in the way we talked about last week, so the same is true of thinking. That if thinking is um, in the background and not really disturbing anything, you can stay with your breathing in the foreground, um, you can just ignore your thinking. But when thinking comes into the foreground, becomes the predominant thing happening, or you're lost in thought, preoccupied with thinking, then the instructions are to let go of the breathing again and turn your attention to the thinking and be present for that. See that clearly hopefully in the same non-judgmental way or non-reactive way, not being for and against as you did for that neutral place that we felt in the beginning. The real key to mindfulness is the how you're mindful. Um, And uh, so how you are is really important. So you're not pushing, straining. Some people have the sledgehammer approach to mindfulness and they want to get rid of things. They bring their mindfulness like a hammer and just kind of just you know, bore down on it and zero in. Some people are uh, lazy or complacent or afraid or resistant. And, um, and so they don't really go, well, I'm supposed to be mindful. I'll kind of be aware. And you kind of like just tap it lightly and turn the other way and kind of not really there. 
But the idea is to kind of bring this clear, present, relaxed awareness to what's happening. So we can do that with our thinking as well, and just watch the thoughts go by, watch them there. And in this regard, it's very important not to think of the thoughts as problems, as something that's wrong or bad. You, you know, if you're a good meditator, you shouldn't be thinking. Um, and it's very common for meditators to have those thoughts because thinking is the most common thing that distracts us from the meditation itself. And if we feel like we're not succeeding at what the task at hand, at what we set ourselves to do, many people have the habit of getting discouraged or disappointed or a- angry with themselves. But in, uh, in the mindfulness meditation, the idea is to just know what's happening in a very simple way. And if what's happening is distracting, we just turn our attention to notice the distraction. And then you're doing the practice. So distractions are no longer the distractions as soon as you turn your attention to them. So it's a wonderful piece of Aikido. The very thing which is the problem becomes the, I don't know if we want to call it the solution, but the very things that's the challenge becomes the meditation itself. The challenge to meditation becomes the meditation. So if there's loud sounds outside, so I can't meditate because all the sound outside, my neighbor's dog is barking. Um, that's the challenge. So we make that the meditation. So we just turn our attention to listen to uh, barking. The barking is happening in the present moment and we're trying to find a way to be relaxed and open with awareness, feeling that. When these other things are no longer compelling, then the instructions are to come back to your breathing. So if thoughts are compelling, you want to notice them. You want to bring your attention and look at them directly. So what happened to some of you when we did that in the med- this meditation? I instructed you to kind of st- stop focusing on the breathing and just completely look at thinking. And that's the only thing you were supposed to do. What happened to some of you? So there's our mic that we can bring to the outer hall there. It's coming. <clears throat> Hi, Gil. Uh, yeah, so I found that um, naming the thoughts could help achieve that sort of detachment. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, remembering or judging. or uh-huh. And the thought that really uh, hooked me uh, was planning, uh, even visualizing whether I would volunteer this question or these thoughts uh-huh. right now and how I would go about that. Uh-huh. Um, I guess to make a question out of it... Um, should I expect to, because the naming is sort of another layer of thinking. So should I expect that in practice I might sort of uh, stop this naming? Uh-huh. You could. Um, and so uh, what he's referring to is, I think I've mentioned it briefly in the earlier classes, that one of the techniques that supports mindfulness is naming the experience that you're having, so noting it. So if you're breathing, you can note in, out, in for the in-breath, in out for the out-breath. If you're having a strong sensation in your body, you can note that heat, heat, or pulling, pulling, or, you know, tight, tight, or something, itching, itching. Just kind of And the idea of the noting is not so much, the noting is not that important. It's more, it does a couple of things. One is it encourages you to stay present, stay there with that. It's like little cheerleader says, stay there, stay with that, stay with the breath. Um, and um, it also uh, gives the thinking mind 
something very simple to do because if uh, an, an idle mind will get in trouble. It's so easy for it to wander off in something, you know, in more complicated thoughts. So you're giving the mind something very, very rudimentary kind of thought to keep you from drift. It's a thought that <coughs> keeps you from drifting into thinking. So it can be very helpful to do. And the other advantage sometimes of these mental notes is that it's also a fuller acknowledgement of what is it you're paying attention to. And there's something powerful in the mind about acknowledging something. It's like something settles, something gets freed up if we name it. Oh, that's what it is. And so uh, you did, that was a great thing that you did was with thinking, you can note planning, remembering, and sometimes having that label can be freeing and help you not get onto that boat. It's like you step back from the shore and say, remembering, as opposed to getting on the boat. Um, But you're supposed to monitor yourself and there'll be a day you might find where it's no longer helpful to do that naming. And that's the day you stop. Yes. So I find this exercise much more difficult than in the past because it, I find it easier to just observe like physical sensations or emotions even without getting engaged, but to be present for thinking but not starting to engage in it, I find it very challenging and in a way it got me out of the kind of uh-huh. um, more relaxed like um, <coughs> distance uh-huh. kind of space and I just, I think I might need a lot more practice in that. but. Right. And so you're saying that it, you know, it was too easy for you to get start thinking about thinking. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so it is a kind of a silent mind that we're watching the thinking with. So it takes a while to learn that. Someone else? Someone? No? Just, just reacting on what you just said. Uh, how do you do that? Like silent mind, uh, noticing the thoughts. Because for me, the awareness comes in a voice. Too. In a voice. Yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, how do you know it comes in a voice? Because I hear, I, I hear it. Ah, but is the hearing silent? Uh, I don't know how what to answer. Um, I, I I know there are thoughts during meditation that I very much still identify with, and those are the thoughts that keep me engaging the breath or like correcting my posture, uh-huh. and that comes through some kind of voice that's telling right. me stay there or uh-huh. oh I don't have to go into that emotion. Right. Mode. Yeah. So. So there are different layers or different aspects of attention. <clears throat> so some of them involve cognition, the words, and sometimes we only know something if we have a word for it, really. But sometimes um, uh, it's also another layer of awareness is silent, where you don't have a word, you don't have a label for it at all. It's just an experience. So, I mean, you might hear a very strange sound and you never heard it before and you have no label for it, so, you, you, know, you, you know, you might not think about what it is, it's just a sound, and you hear it as a sound. Or you're listening to music that's really nice, and uh, it's actually richer than music, the quieter the mind can get. But if you start thinking about the notes, and is that the right note that the composer used, and maybe it should have been a little different beat, and 
you kind of lose the music. So there's a way, you, you, or if, you, if a wonderful car drives by here with a really good bass speaker, and you know, you, and, you know, the whole, our whole body begins vibrating. You know, the, 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 we can know and think about the vibration, but we can also feel it. And that feeling is more silent. And so feeling is more silent than thinking. So there's a kind of a variety of different kind of silent awarenesses that operate that are kind of the foundation for mindfulness. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but just, um, so for body feelings or hearing something, I understand this silent awareness. Yeah. For thoughts, um, I don't know if I've ever experienced yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Have you ever uh, listened to people speak a uh, people speaking speaking a language you didn't know? Yes. And so you couldn't have any thoughts about what they were saying. Yes. So you, and you might just kind of you might just kind of relax and you know it can be in the background, but you're not trying to understand it or judge it or analyze it. It just it just becomes ambient sound. So you can have the same relationship to your own thoughts. There can be this images or, or ideas or words in the mind, and they can just be there and be known in silence. Thank you. So did some of you, when you turned your attention to your thinking, so in the earlier half of the meditation, you were supposed to let go of your thoughts and come back to your breathing. And now in this, the second part, I, you were supposed to stop letting go and just look at it. So did, now that you're allowed to think, did some of you found it hard to think? That it was like thoughts went away? But when you were let go of it, did they, th- they came back quickly? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's a really important insight. That sometimes if we're trying to get rid of thinking and have this negative attitude towards, towards it, it's the, very, it's the very thing that keeps it going or it can kind of create the conditions where it keeps flourishing. But if you turn towards it directly and acknowledge it and see it for what it is, sometimes then it quiets down. Partly because seeing something doesn't fuel it, doesn't feed it. And if you don't feed it, the thoughts don't continue making thinking, you know, those generate more and more thinking. So if you're sitting in meditation and you start thinking, and it becomes a, you know, a problem you may, in the sense that you trouble being in the present moment, then you can just very relaxedly turn your attention and acknowledge thinking. It can be done silently if you know how to do that, if you can do that, or you can use a word, thinking, thinking, or remembering, planning, fantasy, whatever it might be. And, and uh, that allows you to kind of be present to see it, watch the boat go by, it allows you to acknowledge it. As I said, acknowledging is a powerful thing to do. And you just keep in a very relaxed way, keep the noting going, the naming going, um, mostly for the purpose of to continue, kind of stay right there, be present for it as long as it's there strong. And then, if it stays, it's because it's really strong, then it's a time to investigate it, to get to know more about it. Because a tendency for most people is to focus on the content of their thoughts, the, the story or the drama of their images, if they're thinking images. And in mindfulness meditation, 
we like to say that the content is generally not very important. So we're actually going to do something different than most people have habituated themselves to do. We're allowing ourselves to think, but we're going to focus on other aspects of the thought besides the content. So it's like listening to someone speaking a foreign language you don't know. Uh, So you can't know what the content of what they're saying is, but you can pick up the tone of voice, you can pick up the emotional mood that's in it, you can pick up the, uh, 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 how loud or soft the voices are, you can uh, find out how fast they're speaking, how slow they're speaking. There's all kinds of other aspects of the speech act that you can be aware of besides the content. So the same thing is true for our thinking. We can become aware of more than just the content. And that becomes a more holistic awareness. It's more open, taking in the full experience in a better way. And it's, uh, it's uh, more difficult to get seduced by the content if you're able to take in the fuller experience of what's actually happening. Yes? So you might use very rudimentary kind of thinking and say, okay, now I know I'm thinking, let me try to feel more of it. What else is going on here? Am I thinking fast? Am I thinking slow? Is there a lot of energy in my thinking? So there might be some very, very simple thoughts that help you stay to connect and to see what's happening clearly. That's okay. Does that make sense? And so we make a distinction in meditation between discursive thinking <clears throat> and, and uh, directed thinking. So discursive thoughts is we tell ourselves a story, we're having a conversation, we're figuring out what, where you go on vacation. A directed thinking in this regard is thinking that is directed towards being attentive to what's happening. But very, very simple. It's not analytical. It's not like saying, oh, I'm thinking about my high school sweetheart who wasn't so sweet. In fact, she was kind of bitter. And, um, and you know, and why, and why do I keep choosing, you know, partners like that? And, and I must be something wrong with me. And so you're thinking about what's happening at present moment. You're thinking about your high school sweetheart, but you're analyzing and analyzing yourself. And that's discursive thinking. Whereas this directed thinking is very, very simple. It's like, um, what does it feel like to be thinking this way? I'm th- I keep thinking about certain things, but how does it feel for the body? Physically, what's it like when I keep thinking about this? Because if there's a lot of, if thinking is strong, you're going to feel it in the body. There's some place in the body where that uh, thinking is usually as energized, or it might be like people really think hard, their, 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 their eyebrows go together and tight, and they're kind of, you know, or they put their hands up in the mouth, and they're thinking, they're thinking like, you know, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, there's a physical aspect that comes into play when we engage in thinking. And so if you can feel the physicality of thinking, that gives you uh, a, a way of being present for thinking without getting involved in the content, the story. Does that make sense? And that could be in the, you know, like for me, when I really get involved in thinking a lot, I feel pressure or tension behind my forehead between my ears, kind of in my skull someplace. And, um, and I, I call it my thinking muscle. And so then I'll relax that. Relax the thinking muscle. And when I relax that thinking muscle, then I'm less likely to think. The other thing you can notice with a lot, when there's, if there's a lot of thinking, is um, uh, 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 incessant thinking tends to be fueled by emotions. 
And so uh, it's almost as if it's, emotions are the factory for persistent thoughts. So you can look around and see what's the emotion that's connected to this kind of thinking. So for example, planning, 90% of the time when people are planning a lot of meditation, they're anxious. There's some kind of... And so the, I like to think of the thoughts then <clears throat> as kind of like a flag that says, hey you, over here. But don't, don't, it is not the flag you're supposed to pay attention to, it's the factory. So you kind of drop down and feel the emotion out of which that's connected to the, the thinking. And if the emotion gets taken care of and acknowledged and settled, then there's less need to think. But if you're anxious and you're planning, you can let go of your plans forever and that anxiety is going to pump out more plans. So you have to keep letting go. But if you can get to the factory and settle that, then it doesn't produce a lot more thoughts. So you can feel the physicality of thinking and you can feel the emotionality of thinking. And that's different than the content of what you're thinking. And so if the thinking is persistent, then you want to investigate or feel or be present for uh, the emotion or the physical aspect of it. So for the physical aspect, you're doing mindfulness of the body, which we talked about how to do. Just bring your attention to that part of your body and feel it. For the emotional part of it, you're doing mindfulness of emotions and feel the emotions of it. And generally, if you do that, you're either settle, it'll settle down quickly and you can go back to your breathing. Or, if it continues, you're doing very worthwhile mindfulness on the realm of thinking. It doesn't have to be a problem. You don't have to judge it or feel like you're doing it wrong. I'm not supposed to be thinking when I meditate. It's fine to think when you meditate as long as you develop this clear awareness that, oh, I'm thinking. And one way to test it, to test yourself to see if you're really clearly aware that you're thinking is use the naming, but use a naming emphatically. Thinking in your mind. Thinking. I'm really thinking. <laughs> and that's a way of kind of pulling yourself out of the world of thoughts onto that dry river, river bank and not be glued to the thought. Kind of pull back, pull back until you're free of it. Is this making some sense? Now, it might sound complicated, all this I'm saying. <clears throat> the idea is to keep it really simple. The idea is simply to be aware of what is. And if what is is thinking, bring your attention to the thinking. As you're aware of what's th- thinking, be aware of what's obvious around thinking. The physicality of it, the emotionality of it. Just be there, be with it. With it. Be very attentive that you're not turning it into a problem. I I shouldn't be, it should be different or something. Just be there. And when it finally settles or no longer compelling, no longer grabs you, then you can go back to your breathing. That make sense? So um, do you have any questions about that before we do our second meditation? Does that seem clear enough? It's kind of described again in the handout that's there. So you can read some of this again. And... um, Okay, so let's do it. So this, this is, this is, what we're going to do now is not exactly a mindfulness uh, meditation. It's in the area of mindfulness, but it's really meant to be a guided tour of what thinking is like for you. <coughs> to look at thinking from many different angles. So you can start getting a sense 
of the full experience you have of thinking. And uh, many people, you know, have never really noticed what this phenomenon of thinking is really about for them. They just kind of gets pulled into the content, the thoughts, the ideas, and get lost in them. So, take a meditation posture. And then uh, gently close your eyes. And take a few long, slow, deep breaths. As you exhale, settling into your body, into your seat. And then let your breathing return to normal. And take a minute or so just to hang out with your breathing. Feeling, being with your body, the breathing body. And then as you're thinking, if you think, bring your awareness to it. Allow yourself to think, but be mindful of the fact you're thinking. Be aware that it's happening. And if it goes away, just wait until it comes back. And as you're thinking, 
Do you tend to think more in words or do you tend to think more in images? If you think in words, is there an inner voice that speaks them or is there an inner book where their words are spelled out? And is there any sense of a location for where the words are spoken or the speaker where they get projected from? Doesn't have to be, but is there a location for your thinking? Or if you think in images, is there some general or vague sense of a place or location for where those images appear? as you think, what's the general amount of energy you have in thinking? Is the thinking energetic and strong? Is it weak and soft? Does it feel tired? Does the thinking feel or seem alert and clear? or moods or attitudes connected to your thinking. And if there is an emotion or a mood or an attitude Is there some place in your body where you tend to feel that state more than others?
as you think, is there any pressure or tension or energy associated with your thinking somewhere in your body? as you're thinking, how strong is your interest in your thoughts? How strong is the attraction between you and your, the thoughts? Are you kind of glued to your thoughts or are the thoughts kind of in a distance? Awareness is free, it's kind of on the riverbank, and just can watch the thoughts go by. Are there any gaps between your thoughts? Any space between the end of one thought and the beginning of the next? If the next sentence, next sentence makes sense for you, see if you can notice what goes on, what's present beyond the edges of your thoughts. Do your thoughts fill the entire universe? Or are there parts of you and parts of the experience beyond the edges of what you're thinking? And then as you exhale, 
<clears throat> See if you can relax your thinking muscle. Relax the tendency or drive to think. And re- redirect your attention to your breathing. Feeling, sensing the body's experience of breathing. And every time you exhale, letting go of your thoughts so you can let go into the body breathing. And then you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths and really feel your body and feel yourself here in this room and against the chair or your cushion. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. the human body is a pyramid, then the bottom layer, bottom half, which provides stability to the pyramid, is the physical body. And the next, almost the rest of the next half of the pyramid, to the top, to the point, would be the emotions, moods and attitudes. And then the top little piece of the triangle, the top of the pyramid, where the, I guess where they have the, the dollar has a subtle eye, you know, there would be, uh, that would be the world of thinking. If the, our being is placed with the base on the ground, solid and firm, then the whole pyramid is stable. But if you take the pyramid upside down and try to balance it on its point, the ability to keep it stable is very small and it'll fall over pretty soon. If we lead our life with our thinking, then we have the pyramid upside down. And the world of thinking, surprisingly, is not a world of much stability. But if we lead with our body and really connect to our body, kind of live in our body, feel our body, be embodied as we go through life, then we have a stability, we have an anchor 
where it's a lot more difficult to be pushed around and to fall over and lose our equanimity, lose our balance. And, um, and so to have the bodies in Buddhist meditation is really important. We're learning to be embodied as much as we're learning to be mindful. Bodyfulness more than mindfulness. There's a kind of a, bodyfulness means to be aware with your body and feel stable and grounded here. And then the thoughts, they're just a small, you know, we, thinking is kind of insecure, so we give it a good place in the top. It gets to be in the top. But, it, you know, just so, it's, so you're okay. You know, we'll take care of you. You get the good view. You know, so you can kind of relax. And, um, but uh, we tend to overvalue our, our thinking. Thinking is a very important part of life, so it certainly offers a lot of, it deserves a lot of respect. But the amount of time human beings tend to spend in, in thinking tends to be more than it deserves and more than it's helpful. And, yeah. and they get the right balance back of being kind of rooted in the body um, and then have thinking kind of supported by this firm body makes a whole different kind of life. So in that exercise we did, if I asked you these different questions about your thinking, oh, was there anything that was useful for you to notice about yourself that you feel like you can share here? Anything that was helpful, you think might, might have been helpful for you? I, I did not know that I thought in pictures. A little bit louder, please. I did not know that I thought in pictures. Ah, so now that you know, how is that helpful, you think? I don't know. Uh You'll you'll find out now. I guess so. Yeah, so it's a big surprise? It was a big surprise. Yeah, great. great. I'm I'm a word person. So So the advantage of knowing is that if you don't know, then it's kind of a, you're you're not really connected, you're not really seeing what's going on or aware of what's going on. And so it's hard to be mindful in a clear way. But once you know you're thinking in the images, then, you, then it's easier to say, oh, there it is, I see it, I know it, I'm aware of it. And if you're clearly aware, then we tend to not be glued to it or you know, caught entangled in it. Great, thank you. Yes? I, I just noticed that I, I use both. Uh-huh. But with the picture, I could recognize that right away and go back to the breathing but the discursive thinking, I think, goes on for quite a while before I see it. Ah. So when you couldn't go back uh, and you're hanging out with it, what did you learn about it? I need to meditate more. <laughs> <laughs> Great. It's just something to, to look at for now. Okay. A question which I didn't ask, which I usually do when I do this exercise, is ask people, um, what's the tone of the voice? that's doing the inner, if there's a voice, what's the tone of the voice that's doing the inner thinking? And uh, some people, like, their eyes pop open and, and like, oh, I have no idea that how harsh I am, you know, or how, you know, frightened it always is or something. Sometimes people see an image and say, I have no idea that all the images were dark, you know. So anybody else that saw something or discovered something interesting and yourself. Yes, Kate over here on the stage. Yeah, when you asked about 
where the voice or images were placed, I found it very strange that I thought about the narrator back here. Uh huh. Sure. It was behind my head, and uh-huh. then it kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> like yeah. it was God or something, oh, and yeah. it's not. <laughs> Did you ever see Wizard of Oz? You know, so it's, it's like pulling the curtain more than seeing God. <laughs> oh, it's a little guy back there, a little gal. And part of it, it's not so much, don't, don't believe it's like a person there or some of your hearing voices, but rather it's um, by knowing a location, it's another way of kind of not being caught in its grip or being fooled by it. It's like stepping, oh, there it is, I see it. And then it can be there and I'm here and I'm, I'm free of it. I don't have to take it so seriously. But we don't know where it is, then it kind of has a way of enmeshing itself in it. Then I guess they have this word, journalists who are embedded. So then the thinking is embedded in us. But if we can see where it is, we're no longer embedded and we're kind of a little bit distinct from it. Okay, so... um, if this, if some of you, if this seemed too complicated, uh, all this and this exploration, um, just leave it here, forget about it. Because it's supposed to be simple. But it, maybe this kind of showed you a way to be mindful of thinking, hopefully in a simple way, that gives you a chance to connect to it, a bigger picture of what it is, or more what it is than just the content. Because that's the primary place that people tend to get entangled with their thinking or to get involved in it, get on the boat is by, f- by paying attention to the content of what you're thinking about. And, um, and if you can see other aspects of the experience, then it's easier to be disentangled, pull back, and let it kind of drift away, or lose interest, or see, this is, not, this is not worth thinking about, I'm better off just being present with my breathing, and you know, I can do that later or something. Um, so next week was our last class, and uh, I'll do a little review so hopefully is to make it all s- simple and straightforward about how we do it. We'll do a guided meditation that covers all these different aspects. And then I'll talk about how we can bring this into our daily life. And it's very, very rewarding to bring what we're learning in meditation about how to be present into the rest of our life. Uh, in fact, in some ways, that's the whole point of all this. It's not just to sit and become peaceful and calm, but be able to bring some of the higher quality of how to be present into our life. The line between meditation and not meditation is an arbitrary line. So at some point, it's very nice to be interested in extending this out into our life. And then I'll also talk about how to uh, go deeper into the practice, uh, ways of going deeper into the mindfulness, and, um, and how the deeper uh, realms of mindfulness gives birth to wisdom, and how you know, wisdom becomes part of this whole mindfulness uh, uh, you know, uh, practice. So um, thank you all, and um, please don't, uh, I hope that this whole mindfulness of thinking, with time, so some of you might take a while, that in good time, uh, you'll become friends with your thoughts. That they're not your enemy, but they become your good friend, and you know, you can drop them if you don't need them, or you can kind of let go of them if they're not being helpful. You have, you have you kind of some mastery over them, but really, you become it's a friendly relationship between your, you and your thoughts, and your thoughts and you. May your friends, may your thoughts become your friends. Thank you. <clears throat>